looking at this whole thing started out in Ezekiel 37, where we saw what God did, what, how God used one person to, in the midst of a nation that had lost all hope, Ezekiel, who was a man who feared God and was willing to trust God and obey God and do what God said, and these bones that represented the nation of Israel. This was a prophetic vision, and, and he spoke to these bones, the word of the Lord, and the bones came together. And then he spoke the word of the Lord to the breath, the Spirit of God to come and breathe on these bones, and they were made alive. And it says they, they stood up an exceedingly great army. It's not just what God was going to do with Israel. It's what God is doing with the church. There is an army rising up because the word of the Lord is being received by those bones. Because the spirit of God is breathing life into those bones. And the church is rising up in the power and the glory of God. And we're seeing it these days. And then we went to the book of Joel and looked at where God said he would pour out his spirit. Coming in the future, he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Your old men would dream dreams. Your young men would see visions. And then on my handmaidens and my men servants, I would, he would pour out his flesh or his spirit. And we see the fulfillment of that in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we saw that there was a pattern that occurred starting in Acts chapter 2 that the, the disciples were in one place in one accord. And we began to see a pattern that there was the fear of the Lord, there was the unity of the people, and then there was the revival that God brought. And so the disciples were in one place because they had been told by Jesus, don't leave until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And because they feared, they honored and revered and reverenced God. And, and we talked about the fear of the Lord being uh, preeminent adoration and awe. And I don't have time to go into that, but you know, if you don't know what that is, you missed that, go back and listen and see what it is. But there was this, this fear of the Lord, this, this true priority in their lives to trust the Lord Jesus and what he said, to be obedient and then as they were, there was a unity. And as they were united, there was an impact in the world around them. 3,000 people were added. And in Acts chapter 2, this happened two different times, but it was the same pattern. There was a unity, there was fear, there was unity, and there was, there was a revival. And so we've been talking about this and, and learning about this. Um, and and it's, it's so important that we get this because we can't, we can try you know, Christians are real good at trying. We want to try. I want to try. God, I'm going to try. And, and God appreciates you trying, but he knows that you, if you and I just try, we're going to get to the end of our ability. And then we're going to fall down like we always do. And instead of trying, we have to trust. We have to turn to God. We've got to trust in God and then rely on God to give us what we need, to be able to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. And so, in this situation, we see people trusting God, God doing what he has always planned to do, which is save people, but it comes through unity. Revival is dependent on unity. 
And unity is dependent on people really coming to that place of really fearing the Lord, honoring and reverencing the Lord, having a preeminent adoration and awe of God. And, and we'll, we'll explain that later, not today, but in the future we'll go through it again. But part of the reason why unity is so important is because division is so destructive. The Bible says a, a city, a nation, a kingdom, anything that is divided will what? Not stand. It says it will be brought to desolation. Desolation means nothing. It will be brought to nothing. And so God hates it. God hates division. As a matter of fact, in, in Proverbs chapter 16, we're told in verse 16 to 17 that there are six things God hates. And then it goes on to say, and seven are an abomination. And the way it's written in the original translation indicates that, that God does hate these six things. But there is a, an even greater degree of hatred for the seventh thing. And I'm not going to tell you all the six. You ought to look at them to see if any of those are part of your life. But the seventh thing is that he hates abhorrently is those that sow discord or division among the brethren. And there is, there is a promise in the Bible that says those that do that will be broken without remedy. Because why? Because sowing reaping. You're sowing discord. You're sowing breaking and you're going to reap breaking. God's not mocked. What we sow is what we reap. And, and so we see that God is a God of unity. When we're presented with God, how many, how many uh, uh, persons in the Godhead? Three, but they're one. And, and what the, the Jewish people talk about is the Shema, where it says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one. It's a proclamation and a declaration of who God is. God is one. And yet, he's revealed in three. One in three. Three in one. God is a God of unity. He, he displays unity and he desires unity. And he does what he does to produce unity. And this morning, we're going to look at the scriptures that indicate the plan God has for unity, the power of unity, the, the provision or promise of unity, the provision for unity, and the prayer for unity. And I just, I, I read this about a man who had a dream. He had a dream and, and he had gone to heaven and he'd gone to hell. And when he went to hell, he said, are there any non-denominational people in here? And what he heard was, yes. Then he said, are there any Baptists here? And he heard back, yes. And he went through all the denominations. Every time, it was always yes. This is hell. You may say, well, that's not going to be the case. Oh, it will be. Because it's not your denomination that gets you anywhere. It's a relationship with the Lord. And there are going to be those that say, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Then this man went to heaven. And he asked the same questions. Are there anybody, anybody that was non-denominational? No. 
Anybody that was a Baptist? No. How about Episcopalian? How about Charismatic? How about, and every one of them, it was no, no, no. And absolutely shocked and frustrated, the man said, who's in here? And a loud response was, only us Christians. Because I'm going to tell you, all the titles, all the labels, they are not going to make it to heaven. Why? Because they're not important. The only thing that's important is that we are Christ followers. And that's why unity is so important. This morning we're going to look at this, but before we do, let's pray. So if you bow your head. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence that is everywhere. Thank you, Father, for your promise that you said you inhabit the praises of your people, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you would come and make your home in us, and that the plan you have for us is always for good, with a future and a hope. Father, we thank you today for your word that goes forth that won't return void to you. We thank you, Father, that it is truth that sets us free. It is light that brings illumination so we can have revelation and experience transformation and go from glory to glory. We thank you, Father, for your word that is life and health. We thank you for healings today, physical, emotional, mental, and relational. As we look to you, trust you and obey you and follow you in what you've told us to do. Father, we thank you for having your way and speaking to each one of us, your sheep, who have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us, the church, so we can be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do. We thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So we're going to start out this morning seeing that this is really the plan of God. So in Jeremiah chapter 39, uh, 32, verse 39, um, we have two translations and we're going to read both of them. And it says, and I will give them, this is God, God speaking, I will give them one heart and one way. Now who is the way? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way. The truth, not a truth. The life, not a life. I want you to know there's, there's an understanding. You hear all these things from all sorts of high-profile people that say, you know, there, there are all sorts of ways to God. God's like sitting on a, a mountain. And, and you just take whatever side you want. No, 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 no. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're hearing anything else out there, no matter how uh, famous they are, how knowledgeable they are, it's not true. And so if it's not true, it's a lie. And when we deal with lies, we lose because it's deception. 
And there is a lot of deception going on in these days. The Bible tells us in the days that we're living in, many will be deceived and deceive many. And it's happening. It's happening right before our eyes. But I will give them one heart and one way that they may reverently fear me forever for the good of themselves and the children after them. He's talking about unity and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that will bring that unity. Because this unity isn't us sitting like this. How many of you know this isn't unity? This is a gathering. And you can gather all sorts of people that have all sorts of different agendas, and there is absolutely no unity. There is all sorts of tension. And unfortunately, that happens in churches. Because we all bring, if we don't realize, we all bring our own agenda. We have our own priorities, our own desires, our own wants. One of the things, and I've shared this before about praise and worship. You know, people, somebody, somebody went to a pastor and said, you know, I didn't really care for the praise and worship today. And I am just, I was, I was amazed by his answer. And he said, well, that doesn't matter because it wasn't for you. Now, I know you'd take issue with me if I ever told you that. But it's still true. No one here, not a one of us, is this for, as far as praise and worship. This is for one. It's all about praising and worshiping God. It's not about what you like. It's not about what I like. It's about what he deserves. And if you make it about you, you're going to miss the point of it. And you're going to miss out of the blessing of it. And yet, Every day on Sunday, people, people have their scorecards out. I learned this a long time ago. I've been doing this here for 36 years. And I learned a long time ago, I get graded by everybody. And, and most people are very, very nice and very merciful and gracious. But some people just get all bent out of shape when they don't get what they expect or what they want. Well, you know, it's not my church. I'm telling you the truth. This is not my church. Whose church is it? That's right. And we're all here to do what God wants us to do if we're here for the right reason. But so many times today, people are choosing churches like they choose restaurants Or anything else, it's all about what suits them. This isn't about what suits you. God places members in the body as it pleases him. This is all about him. And and you may say, well, why are you getting on this case? I don't know. This isn't in my notes. That's why I stepped away. Because I didn't want to be distracted. (laughs) But I'm telling you, until we let go of our agendas... Let go of our preferences. Let go of our desires and our wants. And embrace God, whatever you want. I want your will. 
I want what you want because I know what you want is best. Which means we all have to die some. We have to die to ourselves. I know that. My friend and brother, Pastor Gabe, has helped me die a lot. (laughs) In the best of ways. Because I needed it. I needed somebody in my life outside of my wife to be able to say, you know what, that needs to die. You know, when this started and we were doing this with each other, because I do it with him too. And we do it with Pastor Jeremy. (laughs) You should see his face. (laughs) But it's one of those things that has to happen. We've got to learn until we die, we can't really live. And the Bible tells us that in John 12, 24. Unless a kernel of wheat, a seed of grain falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will bring forth great fruit. That's what God wants. God wants great fruit. And the only way that happens is is we die to ourselves that we can live to God. In the ERV translation, it says this, I will give them the desire to be one, united people. They will have one goal, to worship me all their lives. And they and their children will want to do this. Do you know why God's, God's word says that? That we here will, will, will have this desire to be one and united and, and worship him? Because that's what eternity is. This is preparation for eternity. Just like a child in a mother's womb is preparation for the world. And if the preparation doesn't take place in that environment, then it's not going to be able to do well in the next You and I are preparing for heaven. And we are the conduits. We are the vessels that God wants to pour heaven through in the earth to help other people see, man, I want heaven. I need heaven. I need the Lord. But we're going to want to do it. Man, I'm telling you, the places where we're seeing revivals break out, it's because people want God. And they're getting together with people that are so different from them, just like the book of Acts. Do you know that these people got together and, and the, the disciples who had feared the Lord, who were united in one accord, went out and impacted the people all around them. And then they started to take care of all these strangers because there was a, there was a, a priority of God and his love and his ways and his will. And all of a sudden, that love spilled out from their relationship with God to other people that they didn't know. And not only people that they didn't know, people that had formerly been enemies minutes before their salvation. Only God can do that. But we have to allow him to begin to work and start to choose to, to have this preeminent adoration and awe of God, this fear of God, which draws us together. You know, if we're all moving towards God and God's up here and we're all moving towards God, and I tell this to every couple I do premarital counseling with, a marriage isn't just two people coming together. God has to be in the midst of it for it to stay together. And so two people, you've got the husband or the, the 
future husband and future wife down here. And if they're just without God, they're being attracted by whatever it is in their lives that they find attractive of the other person. But when that changes, which it will, then they're going to fall out of love. Love isn't something you fall into and it's not something you fall out of. But when you love God and God's at the top and you move closer to God, look what happens. These two people moving closer to God get closer and closer and closer. And it happens not just in the marriage relationship. It happens in every one of our relationships with God. As we move closer to God, we can have a greater unity among ourselves. But the question is, are you, do you want to move closer to God? Or are you okay right where you are? I did, I did a message called Climbers, Campers, and Quitters. Long time ago. But we're either going to be climbing or we're going to stop and just camp. This is, I'm, I've gone far enough. Or we're just going to quit. We're seeing a lot of quitters today and a lot of campers today. But God's looking for climbers. So God has this plan, this plan for oneness. And it wasn't just in the Old Testament. And this is, he's involved in this plan. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 1, verse 10, in the New Living Translation, it says this. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters. Who's he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to the brothers and sisters at Corinth, but he's talking to the brothers and sisters at Rome. By the authority of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. He's not just saying, I suggest it. He's saying, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is his will. When we oppose God's will, what is that called? That's right, the big S word. And it's not stupid, but it is. It's sin, all right? To live in harmony with each other, let there be what? Where? Let there be no divisions. What does that leave out? Not, what can we justify or rationalize that we can say, well, but you know, God, I just can't, I can't be united with them. John Wesley said this. He said on essentials, unity. On non-essentials, liberty. On everything else, charity, love. This is essential. This unity is essential. It's essential for us to see God have his way. Let there no, be no divisions. What is there that's dividing you? Well, I got hurt. You know what? God said, you forgive them as I forgave you. And if you don't forgive them, forgive us our trespasses as? That's right. So if we don't forgive, we can't be forgiven. How many of you don't want to be forgiven by God? I can't afford it. We need to keep short records of what people did to us and long records of what God's done for us. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose.
that's going to that's gonna demand that we quit crabbing about stuff. Complaining and gossiping about this or that or this person or that person. By the way, oh, jeez, Lord. The Bible tells us we are not to judge another person's servant. This man right here, who's he a servant of? This young lady right here, who's she a servant of? This young lady right here, who's she a servant of? And none of us have the right to judge and find fault and condemn God's servant. We're going to find out we are in a world of hurt when we start to look and, and devalue people, whether saved or unsaved. And just understand this, that we cannot be united with people that aren't saved. We can love them, we can care for them, but we can't unite with them. There is not a unity there. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? It can't happen. We're not supposed to be unequally yoked, believers and unbelievers. It's not just a marriage. So he, he talks about this harmony with each other, no divisions. So it's very clear. If we've got divisions today, deal with them. Don't let that division continue. There is power in unity, and the enemy knows it. He knows enough about division and how anything divided will not stand. It will be brought to desolation. But there is power, power, power in unity. And we see the power and the promise that, that, that unity brings is seen in Psalm 133. We're going to look at verse, I'm sorry, in Genesis 11, uh, 4 and 6. This is, this is a, a, a depiction of what had happened. You know, in the garden, Adam and Eve and God were united. Then the enemy came in and brought what? Division, Right? He, he tempted Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, before that, had feared God. They had honored God. They had reverenced God. They had valued God. God was a priority in their life. They loved God. They worshiped God. And the enemy comes start, starting to make accusations and, and bring up questions about what God was keeping back from them. And all of a sudden, they lost the fear of God. No longer were they going to honor God. And they no longer trusted God. And so they went away from God, went their own way, and sin came in. So what essentially happened in the garden was there was a lack of fear of the Lord. There was division. And there was death. 
It's just the opposite of what God does. And it still happens today. If we don't fear the Lord, we'll not be united with him. We'll not be dependent on him. We'll not be trusting in him. We won't obey him, and we'll experience death in our lives because sin will begin to move into our lives because we're choosing not to place the priority where it needs to be. That it needs to be that God is number one priority, number one value, and number one influencer in our life. That's what preeminent means. And adoration, we need to preeminently, number one in everything, adore him. When we adore, it means to have fervent, devoted love and worship. And when we don't, we get off track. The enemy gets advantage in our life. And we know that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we, we see the power of unity here at the Tower of Babel. This is where people, dead in their sins, because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet, dead in their sins, they're getting together, and, and look what they're all about. It says, they, they said, come, let us build ourselves, build for ourselves a city and a tower. Who are they building for? Themselves. God's not in the picture. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians doing this today. I want to build this for myself. God's not really in the picture. Whose top is in the heavens. Does that ring a bell? Do you ever remember anybody saying, you know, I'm going to exalt my throne above the most? Lucifer, one of the three archangels, the one who led praise and worship in the throne room of God. Same mentality. He's gotten in here. I'm going to build something that's so magnificent, so monumental, everybody will recognize it. And in that, they'll recognize me because they said, let us make a name for ourselves. You know, the, the spirit behind that, let us make a name for ourselves, is running rampant in our society today. Everybody wants hundreds and thousands of followers, likes, we're doing all sorts of crazy stuff to impress people we don't know. How, how ridiculous and deceived is that? So this is what's going on. They're, they're saying this is what we're going to do. And look at God's response in verse 6. God said, look, the people are what? That's the only thing he says. The people are united. And look what he says is the result of unity. After this, nothing they set out, to, set out to do will be impossible for them. Who said this? Is, is he being dramatic? Is he over-embellishing? No, because he can't. He's telling the truth. He said, because they're united, nothing they set their hearts to do will be denied them. They're going to be able to do anything they choose to do because they're united. These are unsaved, unregenerated people, people that are still dead in their trespasses and sins. This is the power of unity. Now think of this. If unsaved people can accomplish things because they're willing to unite, and we're, we're seeing that. 
We're seeing that in our society. There are unsaved people that have an agenda that are uniting, that are pushing all sorts of ungodly things on everybody else. If that's the case with people that aren't saved, what's the power potential for people that unite that are saved? No wonder the enemy is doing everything he can to try and keep us divided, keep, keep the little things in there to keep us just enough agitated that we don't want to really be united. You know, we've got that little edge to us. Because he's diminishing in very subtle little ways. But it's the little foxes that spoil the vine to keep us divided. You know, if we walk in love, there'll be no division. Love doesn't count as suffered wrong. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love believes the best. And that love is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. But are we frustrating? Are we opposing the work of God in our lives? because we want to hold on to fleshy things. So the enemy continues to promote division. Because he sees even unsaved people that are united can accomplish a lot. And he's, he's working with that in those that are deceived, but he's also working overtime to keep us divided. But there's a promise. In Psalm 133, Psalm 133 has only three verses in it. We're going to look at two of them. Well, one and a half. It says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Notice that word dwell. It's the word abide. We, we did a lot of studying about the importance of abide. When brethren abide... Settle down consistently, continuously, together in unity. And it, it takes work. Don't think to be united doesn't take work. It takes work. It takes effort. But it's good and pleasant. This is God saying it. If it's good and pleasant, it's better than we can even imagine. But look what the result is. For there, where? Where brethren dwell together in unity. For there, the Lord did what? Commanded. Commanded. When God commands something, that's, it's a done deal. Commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Man, I want life forevermore. I want life forevermore in my family. I want life forevermore in my church. I want life forevermore in my community. I want life forevermore in my state. I want life forevermore in my country. I want life forevermore in my world. How about you? Be careful. You say yes, that means you've got to be willing to let go of some of the stuff. Willing to adjust And adapt and adopt what God says. 
We can't keep doing what we've done and expect something different. But we need to be willing to embrace change. And the first place change needs to happen is in each one of us. And I can't look at you and say, you know what, you need to change, because I've got a big project already. That's me. But I can team up with brothers and sisters that will not be critical, but will be truthful and help me recognize things that I'm not aware of that need to be adjusted to align with God, to align with his word. And when that happens, that unity begins to produce power that impacts people beyond us and draw people to the Lord. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your what? Love one for another. Your, your unity, your, your connectedness. Do you know that everybody, every human being right now is just starving and, and searching for connection? In our society, no matter how connected we are electronically, they are finally coming out and coming clean and saying that we are more isolated, we're more lonely than we have ever been as a whole. What would, what would it be like if somebody came to a place where before they were even known, they were loved? I don't know their name, but I love them. I don't know their name, but I'm here to help them. I don't know their name, but I'm willing to give whatever I can to enrich and enhance their life. If that kind of place existed, there would be not enough room for the people. And it does. It needs to be the church. But for us to be that, we can't be clicky. I know, I know. You know, this morning, I knew there was going to be a tension when I didn't give you what you wanted. I want, I want to go over there and see Pat. I want to say hi to Pat this morning. Hi, Pat. And you didn't let me do it. Why can't I have my time? And then I give you time and you want more. Come on. But we are so wanting to see the people that we so connect with that we aren't willing to connect with people that we don't know. Or have an issue with. You know, we all have our favorites. But because we're so connected with them, we want to continue to enhance that connection. And you know what? That connection will be okay if you don't say hi to them this morning. And you can connect with somebody that maybe nobody else is connected with. I'm telling you, if people come in here and they don't know anybody, what do you think their, their experience would be like? What they would think if when we gave that opportunity for people to be able to greet each other, everybody gathered around and they were like, hey, we're glad you're here. 
They might be overwhelmed at first, but I'm going to tell you, even being overwhelmed and uncomfortable with people coming around, they're going to get out on their own and they're going to be like, wow, these people didn't know me from anybody and they cared about me. We all want to be wanted. We all want to be loved. We all want to be valued. And I want you to know everybody is, they just don't know it. Because the enemy has done a masterful job in breaking people. And we're the ones that God is sending to build people in relationship with him. But they can't have a relationship with him until they know him. And the way they're going to get to know him is know you. Because when they know you, they're going to begin to know him. And you can help them know, know him too. God wants to fill every, every seat in every church. And we have to be the ones that help. There are people, there are people that walk through the door. Just walk through the door. And there are testimonies here of people that have done that. They've driven by and driven by and driven by. And they finally walk through the door. And they find. And I, I'm, I'm telling you these things about greeting people and loving people. And you are. When we have new members class, uh, majority of the time we hear from people, you know, people here are so loving. And you are. But, but we haven't hit a limit yet. Because there's no limit. And we're, we want to be so loving that people go out of here and say, you know what, I got to go back. And they don't realize they're coming back for God. They think it's because of what we've done, but what we've done is because of what God's done. And we just have to help keep them. When they look at us, just keep them understanding. If it's good, every good and perfect gift comes from who? God. He gets the glory. He can do it. He can do it through any and every one of us. Man, you guys are listening slow. I'm getting way behind. So... So this is the promise, the promise that there would be this blessing, life forevermore. But how? How does this happen? In Ephesians chapter 4, God reveals to us in the New Testament the process of what he's doing. Paul says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which who? Who was called? You. Say me. Me, 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 me. Some of you won't do it. <laughs> the, the calling that you have. Every one of us is called. Every one of us is called. There are certain callings that are for all of us. There are other callings that are, that are, that are unique. Worthy of the calling which you were called. With all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what that is? That's the fruit of the Spirit. When we allow God to have his way, he begins to do this. But we, we have to walk worthy of the calling in the fruit of the Spirit. Now look at verse 3. It says, endeavoring. Endeavoring. That means work, effort, with speed and intention. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we're to work with speed, with effort, with intention to, what's that third word? 
in verse 3. Keep. Doesn't say find. It's keep. It, that means it's already present. It's, it's already in place. That unity is in place. The day you and I come to the Lord, we're united with God and we're united with our brothers and sisters in Christ. From that point on, unless we work at it, it's going to go downhill. Hello? Because God said we're going from glory to glory. Is that right? Have you ever coasted uphill? <laughs> yeah, if you get a long running start. Yeah, that's why I like riding bikes better than running, because I can coast on my bike. Last time I tried to coast, it was disastrous when I ran. Keep, keep it. It's, it's something we have to work for. It's there. Guard it. This means to protect. Protect what is currently there, because the enemy is gunning for your unity. In every relationship you have, even with God, to keep the unity of the spirit. This is a spiritual unity. It starts in the spirit. It starts with us and God. It's a, a spiritual unity that we have with other people. That's why we can't be united with people that are dead in their trespasses and sins. Oh, yeah, we can do things together, but there's no unity the way God intends unity to be. In the bond. In the bond of peace. This is, this is called a, a, um, a joint fit. It's like a ligament. When the bones came together. When Ezekiel spoke to the bones, the first thing that happened was the bones came together and ligaments began to keep the bones together. That's that bond of peace. That word peace we've talked about, it's the word irene. It means to be set at one again. Set at one again. It's got the idea of a bone out of joint. If you've ever had a bone out of joint and they had to set it back, it is not comfortable. It's painful when it's out and it's painful going back in. But once it is in, it's like, oh. The bond of peace. That bond of peace, that peace is a state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. That's what God has for us. And then how, how does this happen? Well, verse 6 tells us in the message translation, there's one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with what? There's a lot of connectedness there. One God and Father of all, of all of us. There's, there's a, a point of unity. He's all of our Father who rules over all. If he's ruling over all of us, it's like fish swimming in a school. Fish have lateral lines. That's how when they school, they keep that space. And they're just so united and so rhythmic and so amazing. 
works through all and is present in all. Now, now remember that. Present in all. Because we're going to visit that next week. That everything you think and do is permeated with oneness. Then in verse 11 through 13 it says, And he gave some to be. These are specific callings that God has for a few. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. You notice it's some, not all. All right, so there are a few. But it doesn't make them better. There's just a different function. For the what? Equipping. Equipping of the saints. Equipping. Preparation. Adjustment of the saints. For what? The work of ministry, the work of service. Every one of us is supposed to be serving. Serving God, serving others. Shouldn't be a day we don't go without serving God and serving others. You know, we have, we have historically in the church in this, this time, there are less people serving than ever before. COVID did some pretty tough stuff to people wanting to be involved. Right now, a lot of people just want to receive. And we all need to receive, but we all need to give. Because if all you did was receive food and you didn't give off anything, it's uncomfortable. The work of the ministry for what? The edifying of the body of Christ till we all come. All of this is designed by God to cause us to come to what? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, the, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that God would be revealed. You know, when, when people aren't giving themselves to God and giving themselves to each other, there's not a full An ability to fully perceive who God is because you bring something unique, something God designed that needed to be a part of what his body was doing. And if it's missing, it's like missing a piece of the picture. Till we all come, till we all come to the unity of faith, the oneness. That's what that, that is. It's oneness. So that's the provision. That's how God does it. We all we all. Let these, these ministry gifts that God's given help perfect us, to adjust us, to prepare us, to align us, to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ would be built up, so that there would be a unity in the body. And when that unity comes, we're able to reach people and impact people in their lives. And there was a prayer Jesus prayed. If you, you aren't sure that unity is what God wants, in John chapter 17, verse 21 and 23, this is the prayer Jesus prayed. I pray that they, meaning all of us, will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us, so that the world, so that the world, so that the world will believe you sent me. That's the power of unity. Then he said in verse 23, I am in them, they are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know, that the world would know 
that the world would know that you sent me and that you love me, love them as much as you love me. This is talking about love them. Them who? It is us, but it's also the people of the world. God loves the people of the world that are in their, their darkest sins as much as he loves Jesus because that's what he gave for them. But they don't know it. But we're here to show that. Amen? Like every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And, and God is getting some of the spots out. He's getting some of the wrinkles out of our lives that need to be gone so that we would be one. We would be united as Jesus prayed. We would not fall prey to the deception of the enemy and, and work unknowingly or knowingly as part of his team, bringing division, allowing division. You know, I don't know. I don't know where you are. And I don't need to. But you do. Sometimes one of the hardest things for us to do is be honest with us. But it's important every one of us is honest. If there are divisions, if there is anger and animosity, if there are unresolved hurts, and issues, the Bible says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. It's time to operate in forgiveness. We've, we've freely received forgiveness, generously received forgiveness. And we received it before we ever asked for it. But when we recognize it, then we could really appropriate it. It was provided, but we didn't have it. It's time to forgive others. Right now, let it go. My little granddaughter really enjoys some of the movies of Disney, and, and, and there's one frozen, and she sings, Let it go, let it go. And I'm telling you right now, let it go. Your life will be better for it. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you have never let go of your own life and, and turned to Christ and given him your life, I want to pray with you today, but I want to know who I'm praying with. So if that's you, we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I want to know if, if that's you that we're praying together. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want a brand new life. Let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I come to you today to give you my life. Thank you for giving me your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for guiding me, governing me, 
guarding me from this day forward. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, please, please, please don't leave here unless you let somebody know. You can let me know, Pastor Gabe, Pastor Jeremy. You can let an usher. Let somebody know. We have some material for you we'd like to give you. Now, before we dismiss, there are